Well, morning, everyone. Before I um, bring God's word to us this morning, I just want to um, say a huge thank you to the Sharing the Journey team from 50 or so of us women who were there yesterday on Zoom for that event. It was it was so lovely, one, to be together, two, to hear such uh, relevant teaching, to, to have that opportunity together, to look for God in the season that we're in at the moment, to have the opportunity in small groups to chat with people we maybe haven't met before, with old friends. Uh, so a huge, huge thank you to um, Amanda, Sarah, to Caroline, Marie and Maureen for all the hard work you put into to making yesterday happen and also to Kev who um, did all the tech as well. So, so a huge thank you from all of us to you. I know many people were blessed um, by that. Shall we pray together as we come to God's word? Holy Spirit, we ask that now as we open up your word together that you would speak to us. Remind us of truths that we know deep in our hearts and maybe reveal something new to us as we we study your word together. Thank you for your promise that you are with us. Thank you that you um, open our eyes through your Holy Spirit to understand your word. And we pray that you would do that for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Chris has said, it's only two weeks until Easter Sunday. Can you believe that? That day when, uh, well, the best day, isn't it, uh, of the church calendar, when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Over the Easter weekend, of course, we remember Christ's death on the cross on Good Friday and his rising to life again on Easter Sunday. These events that we're about to celebrate, they're central to our faith, aren't they? Christianity is built on the core belief that Jesus is the son of God who died and rose again. It's a bit like a bicycle wheel, isn't it? If you take that central hub away, the whole wheel can't do its job. It won't hold together. It will quickly fall apart. And that's true of this, uh, of the centre of our faith. So I wonder how important is Jesus to you today? What sort of impact does he have on, on your life? Is he the central hub that holds your life together, I wonder? Well, we're going to look this morning at the end of a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, um, to the Christians in Corinth. In the, in the letter, Paul addresses a whole range of difficulties and challenges that are going on within the church at the time. Throughout the letter, that's what he's talking about. And he takes time to teach them. He takes time to rebuke them where necessary and um, helps them as they seek to grow in their knowledge and love of God, as what, of what it means to follow Jesus. And of course, they make all mistake, uh, lots of mistakes and needs lots of encouraging. But in truth, his letter could be written to any church at any time, to us today, as we wrestle individually as a church um, with how it, God wants us to lead um, his godly lives in the world today, in a world that has no regard for him. What does it look like? Um, so I wonder if you'd turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read some of the final words uh, from this letter that Paul writes to the church there in Corinth. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, not yet, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. After all he said, Paul has said to his listeners, he takes them back to the gospel that he first preached to them, reminding them of the foundation on which their faith is built. And so that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks as we approach Easter. We're going to look at the key elements of our faith as Paul lays them out here. First of all, Jesus' death and burial today, and then Jesus alive and risen. And then we're going to look at Jesus ascended to heaven. Well, in this chapter, Paul uses what's generally agreed to, um, is the oldest creed of the Christian faith, written within a matter of years of Jesus' death and resurrection by those who would have witnessed uh, that event. And it's using this creed that Paul reminds the church in Corinth uh, towards the end of this letter that underneath everything he said to them, underneath all those problems that they're wrestling with, impacting every decision that they make as a church, every problem they face is this core center of their faith, like the hub of the wheel. And this is more important than anything else that they face. Paul's keen for them to remember the gospel that he shared with them at the beginning, the one that they received, the one that they believed, that they accepted for themselves and that they chose to stand on. He wants them to remember the gospel. And of course, for Paul, these words are personal too, aren't they? Something that he received for himself from Jesus, that he experienced for himself and that he's continually passed on to those um, who eventually become the church in Corinth. So he says, don't forget. Don't forget is the message of these 11 verses. So firstly, he says, don't forget the gospel that you heard from me and believed on and which you built your life on. Don't forget is the message that he keeps bringing up. He uses this early creed to remind them of what the gospel is, reminding them that it's not made up. It's not, it's not um, a, a pie in the sky idea that somebody's come up with. No, these are facts that he's sharing that others have seen and others have witnessed. And Paul says, I met the risen Lord and I shared him with you. Now, don't forget this amazing moment when you accepted the gospel. I wonder if we can be prone to forget that moment when we first accepted that amazing news of the gospel. Don't forget, Paul says, don't forget that moment when your eyes were open to see all that Jesus had done for you. Let's read those words of the creed again. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised to life according to the scriptures. Now, as I've said, this creed was written as those first followers of Jesus wanted to put into words what they'd seen and what they'd witnessed for themselves. They wanted it to be remembered. What had happened, what they'd seen, they wanted it remembered. And don't forget that these men and women, they knew Jesus. They knew him as the friend of sinners. They knew him as the one who loved the unlovely, who reached out to those who were marginalized. They'd watched him. Imagine that they'd sat with Jesus. They'd eaten with Jesus. He was their friend. He was their rabbi. He was their leader. And then they'd seen him crucified on a cross. 
they'd seen him die and be buried in a tomb. But they'd also met him. They'd eaten with him and seen him when he was alive three days later because he had risen from the dead. They were there. And what they'd come to realize and what they wanted remembered was that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that Christ was buried and rose again, just like the scriptures had said. And Paul's saying, don't forget, this was all God's plan. That phrase, according to the scriptures, puts the death of Jesus into context, doesn't it? It wasn't the decision of certain people at a certain time who didn't like the teaching of a certain man. It was part of God's sovereign plan. Paul says in, one, uh, in 2 Timothy 1, 9, we are saved because of God's own purpose and grace given to us in Christ before the beginning of time. John Piper puts it like this, a breathtaking strategy conceived even before creation. A breathtaking strategy conceived even before creation. As we focus on this phrase, Jesus died for our sins this morning, it speaks of the plan of a God who pursues his creation. A God who wasn't willing to turn his back on, tho on those who had chosen to turn their back on him. Of John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. This plan from the beginning of time, God's plan was a costly plan. The death of his own son. You see, before we get to the celebration of Easter Sunday, we need to remember the cost of Good Friday. And Paul says, don't forget, don't forget that Jesus died for our sin. Christianity is so unique, isn't it? Because it speaks of a God who reaches out and rescues us when we weren't able to do it for ourselves. God provides a substitute, someone to take our place because we can't solve the problem that we have. And of course, the problem, the Bible says, is sin. Now, sin, I would say, is a word that isn't much liked in the 21st century or much used for that matter. Because we don't like to accept that we get things wrong, do we? We don't like to take personally, personal responsibility um, for things. We'd rather blame our culture or our upbringing or our environment before we take a look at ourselves. But a simple definition of sin is a failure to do what is right before God, and we all are guilty of that. And this is why Paul uh, it points us to the scriptures, because in the Bible we have a very honest, a very clear, actually a very robust explanation of the human condition. Right from the early pages of Genesis, we discover human beings rejecting their dependence on their creator God and making a bid for independence. Isaiah 53 puts it like this. We're like sheep who've strayed away from our shepherd. We've turned our own way, chosen to do things the way we want to. We thought that we knew best. But I think if we're honest, if we're willing to stop for a moment, we have to agree with the Bible's stance on this. Not only do we fail to live up to our own standards as of, of what we consider to be right, for example, telling the truth or being kind or obeying the law, we constantly fail, don't we? But when we're in our more kind of real moments, we're aware that this is a relentless struggle that we live with every day, that we don't even live up to what we think is right because something inside us is broken and fundamentally sinful. 
So we strive for peace, for example, but we constantly seem to find disharmony. We strive for happiness. We constantly discover emptiness instead. So sin then, it poses a problem, doesn't it, for us? Because our relationship with God has broken down as a result. And we've just agreed together that however hard we try, we can never be perfect. We can never each reach our own standards, let alone God's. In other words, as the Bible would put it, we're not able to mend that relationship that is broken with God. So listen to these words again. Jesus died for our sins. Our sin that we can't do anything about, Jesus dealt with it on the cross. Our sin has been nailed to the cross. When Jesus died, he took the punishment so that we don't have to. That constant feeling of never being good enough, of wanting to be kind but feeling anger burning up within us, wanting to be generous but feeling selfish instead, longing to respect others but being full of lust and envy, hating lying but finding ourselves being economical with the truth, overreacting out of frustration when we've promised ourselves over and over again that we would try harder not to. Jesus takes all of that striving that we have to be perfect. He takes all that guilt of never being what we long to be, the shame of all our failure, and he nails it to the cross. God's love for us, his longing to forgive us, his longing to be in relationship with us, even though we persist in pushing him away, resulted in God himself providing the only way for this to happen. His plan, God's plan, was to give us forgiveness. But of course, forgiveness still requires justice. I always find it really inspiring on the news when you hear a parent, a mother or a father, forgiving the person that has killed or injured their child. But you know, those parents and our law and we ourselves it still expect, don't we, that justice is served, that the crime is punished. And you know, even though God wants to forgive us, the sin, the crime that we've, we've committed of um, turning our backs on God still needs to be punished. And Jesus, in taking our sin on himself, receives that punishment that we deserve. In dying, you know, Jesus didn't deserve to die. He died instead of me. I was the one that deserved to die. Why does the creed mention Jesus' burial? Because only a dead Jesus can save. Only a dead and buried Jesus experienced the full wrath of God, his punishment against our sin. Only a dead Jesus <laughs> can be bought, brought back to life. And uh, we're going to hear more of that good news of Jesus' resurrection next week. So hold on to that thought. You know, when the stone was rolled over Jesus' grave, when he was buried, he took your sin, my sin, in there with him into that grave. He buried it away in his death which means you don't have to bear the punishment anymore. Your sins are there, my sins are there in the grave, dead, gone, out of the sight of God, never ever to be resurrected. 
Romans 6, Paul puts it like this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking of your baptism right now. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? A beautiful picture of what happens as we accept that Jesus died for our sins. In baptism, we symbolize the dying as we go under the water, don't we? We die to our old life, our old life of sin. We die with Christ. And as we come back, um, go, uh, sorry, as we go under the water, we symbolize that very thing that our sin, our old life is now buried with Christ. Our sin, the Bible says, washed away. So Paul says, don't forget, says the Corinthian Christians, don't forget what Christ has done for you. And don't forget that God planned this out of his love for you. And then Paul looks um, as he finishes his letter at his own life. And Paul says this, don't forget God's grace. Verses 9 to 11 say this, for I am the least of the apostles, says Paul. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than more, all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Paul remembers where he's come from. He remembers life without knowing Jesus. He remembers how he actively hated Jesus and he persecuted Christians. If anyone knew the depths of sin, Paul did. He had ensured the murder of those who followed Jesus. But do you notice this? Paul says that this no longer defines him. His sin no longer defines who he is. God's grace is now what defines Paul. God's grace now defines him. And if you've accepted Jesus, that Jesus died for your sins, then that is true for you too. God's grace now defines you. And Paul lives in the grace of God. That's what he's saying here. He's saying he understood the seriousness of sin. He understood Jesus' work on the cross. But he also understands now the grace of God at work in his life. Paul recognises that his old life has died, that life that he lived for himself, and that's true for us too. That empty life of striving to be better and constantly failing, that sought happiness in all the wrong places, that long for freedom from self-loathing and never being good enough, that life that never found that what we were looking for, all gone, all dead, all buried. Paul describes God's grace in his next letter in 2 Corinthians. Um, and it, I want to close with this beautiful words. He puts it like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As I've pondered this sermon through the week on Friday, these two words came into my head and I, I, I feel they just sum the whole message up. A beautiful exchange. That's what Paul's describing here. A beautiful exchange. I wonder if these are words that you need to hear this morning. 
my filthy rags, my dirty, torn, ruined clothes of self and of sin, exchanged for God's beautiful robe of righteousness and freedom. What a beautiful exchange. Really overwhelming. My failed attempts over and over to be good enough, exchanged for Jesus's once for all complete finished work on the cross. It is finished, Jesus said. My death for his life. Will you choose to live in the truth of that this morning? Or are you still being dragged down by your sin, by your past mistakes, by those past hurts that come and tease us, cloud what we know to be true? Hear these words. God loves you. God loves you so much. He was willing to allow his only son to take on that sin so that you can know his grace, his love, his forgiveness. What a beautiful exchange. This morning, why not for the first time receive that beautiful exchange? Live in the freedom that your sins have been buried with Jesus. Let's pray together. I wonder if there might be somebody today who has never ever understood this beautiful exchange, never accepted it for themselves, never been a recipient of it. I want to pray now, lead a prayer where um, it gives you the opportunity to accept that wonderful love that God offers, the amazing sacrifice that Jesus was willing to bear for us and for our sin. So let's pray together. Father God, we recognize our need of you this morning. We recognize your amazing love for us. We recognize Jesus' sacrifice. And this morning, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, we accept again that beautiful exchange. And we receive your forgiveness. Thank you that our sin is buried the Bible says as far as the east is from the west. So you've removed our sin from us and you've instead given us new life and we accept that new life again today. And we choose today to live in God's grace. And for each one of us, Father God, I pray that you would help us never ever to forget this beautiful exchange and live each day in the light of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a, a song that speaks of this beautiful exchange as we close uh, this morning. Beautiful words. You may not know this song, but please listen and enjoy the words. It says, who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages steps down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Saviour, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope.